Oi, oi, people. Silky here, Death of Guitar Pop, and you are listening to Stateside Madness because madness are the bollocks. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome to episode 50 of the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. What's new, Polly? I haven't talked to you in a few days. <laughs> there's just not a lot happens to me in three days. So uh, so there's nothing new, Lori. I'm sorry to disappoint. That, that's okay. So for those of you who are listening, we do try to record our episodes in advance. And the way that this is shaken out, we like literally just finished with Dave Robinson a few days ago, and now we're moving into the next episode. So for our listeners, it's been two weeks. Uh, for you and me, it's been just a couple days. The magic of technology. Ain't it great? Yep. So, hey, should we do the communicator? I think we should. Oh, we've got a lot today. Where to start? Well, why don't you go ahead? I've got a little something uh, for the end. Okay. That you, you're, you're, you're actually not aware of. Oh, that's intriguing. Okay. Well, the big news over here at SSM headquarters is we hit 10,000 downloads on Sunday, June 26th. We hours of the morning. I had a notification on my phone. I'm half asleep. Bloop. I'm like, what is this? Oh. <gasps> 10,000 downloads. So congratulations, Polly. And congratulations to you. And of course, thanks to everybody who listens. I think maybe when we did 2,000, hit 2,000, and then when we hit 5,000, I probably said the exact same thing. Can't believe anybody listens to me, but thank you so much. Thanks to all the people, I guess, who have guested on the show too. That's a pretty special thing that some of these uh, notable folks in the madness sphere will actually take the time to talk to us. So thanks to everybody. Yes, thank you. It's, it's been fun. We're looking forward to, uh, to another couple of years, maybe. We'll see. And another 10,000 downloads, maybe, huh? I would hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next, we did get a social media message from Andre Klaus. He's a friend of the podcast, regular listener. Andre, thank you for calling us probably the best Madness Scott podcast in the world. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, we're probably the only <laughs> Madness Scott podcast in the world, but, but thank you for that. He further says, I'm a Madness fan since 79, but even I'm blown away with great knowledge and Madness info. That's quite a compliment. Thank you, Andre. Thanks for listening. Yes, thanks for listening. Kind words indeed. Yes. And hey, speaking of friends of the podcast, we've also heard from our friend Nick Woodgate. He says, Nick here from the JoJo Man Band. Hope you are well. I released my cover of the Emerger song Hindsight on the 15th of July. So he sent us a little preview. I like what I hear. For our listeners, you can pre-save and follow on Spotify. That's the JoJo Man Band. Check it out. He's got some good stuff. Yes, that he does. And uh, always uh, also very good to us here. So we appreciate everything he does. And we'd be happy to have people check out what he's doing. He is so talented and he's so humble. He's really very, very humble. So we want to uh, show him lots of love. So please check out Hindsight. Now, I don't know Emerger. Is that a band that you're familiar with, Polly? You know, it's not, um, it's not really... Uh something i'm remembering so no probably not all right 
Well, what you got, Polly? All right. So last episode, you know, uh, we talked about how for some reason we're trending in Cyprus. And we said, hey, well, if you're from Cyprus and you're listening, why don't you drop us a line? And in fact, that did happen. Yes, so we got an email from Nathos Lambis, and it reads, Hi, Polly and Lori. Just interrupted listening to episode 49 to drop you a line. I can't actually remember for sure how I first heard about the podcast. It may have been from a Facebook post, either on the Madness or Mad Chat groups. I've been listening every fortnight since day one, and they've all been really good. I drive a lot for work, and I usually listen to them in the car on Monday. If you plan to come over, because I was saying, yeah, sure, I'd go to Cyprus, and I would. I totally would. He, he continues, if you plan to come over, come in the summer. Glorious sun, sandy beaches, great food, hospitable people. You'll love it. It would be great to meet you in person after listening to you every two weeks for what will soon be two years. It would be great to hear back from you. Perhaps you might like to chat to a fan who is in another part of the world. All the best, Nathos. Now, that's also my guess on the pronunciation of his name. So do correct us if that's wrong. I've been corrected on pronunciation. I've been been corrected on pronunciation of people's names before. Would not take offense. So uh, thank you. Uh, it's great to hear from you. Yes, we will probably be reaching out to you at some point to maybe uh, do a quick Zoom and uh, talk to you a little bit. That would, would not, be awesome. It would be fantastic. Why would yeah. It be, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I've always got a hankering for traveling. And, you know, it's one thing when we say, sure, maybe I'll go there. But, hey, if I get an email from somebody at that point, can you really say no? You know? <laughs> That's 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 effort somebody put in there. So yeah, I would love to make it to Cyprus. Not gonna lie. All right. So Polly's gonna be camped out in your backyard in a tent. <laughs> he says the sandy beaches. I've 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 woken uh, up on a few sandy beaches before. So yeah. I'm, All right. I could do a, a economy uh, vacation in Cyprus. Well, thank you so much for the email and thank you for listening for two years. Hopefully, we haven't started to bore you yet, but. Uh nice to know that we've got fans worldwide that's fantastic that it is chris what time is it showtime so polly what are we doing today Oh boy, I've forgotten, but no, what we're going to do today is we are going to do a deep dive into one of Madness's biggest albums. You will all know it as The Rise and Fall, but you know, for us American fans, it was actually never released here. Yeah, so we're going to do an album deep dive. Polly, you selected the topic this week. Now, the actual formal name of the album is madness presents the rise and fall but most fans only just call it the rise and fall don't they that's right so the original concept for this album was for the band members to go and write songs about their childhood memories carl said i suggested to the others that we do a concept album around the theme of our families sounds good right sure but then mike barson came back with a song called new delhi about dreaming he was in new delhi dying of la grippe which uh, apparently Mike did not understand the assignment. So they kind of got away from that concept a little bit, but most people, most critics anyway, still consider the Rise and Fall to be a concept album, much in the same way that the Liberty of Norton Folgate is a concept album. So uh, the Rise and Fall, again, paired Madness with the production team of Clive Langer and Alan Winstonley. It was recorded at Air Studios, on Oxford Street in August and September of 1982. Now, at the time, Paul McCartney was in the next studio recording Pipes of Peace, and Chrissy Boy taught him how to play Asteroids, of all things. Now, no, not Asteroids, a musical instrument, Asteroids, the classic tabletop video game. 
Now, supposedly the Human League were also in Air Studios at that time, and they had a new drum machine, which Madness helped them to learn. Madness also brought in classical composer David Bedford to do string arrangements for the album. No relation to Mark. That's true. Okay, so as you mentioned, Polly, it was recorded in August and September of 1982. It was mixed between October 1st and October 8th by Martin Rushant at Genetic Studios. And the album was released on Stiff Records on November 5th, 1982. But as you mentioned, it was not released in the USA. The album did not chart as high in the UK as their previous three albums had. So the rise and fall only peaked at number 10 and it only reached gold status, which in the UK is for 100,000 copies sold. Now, in contrast, One Step Beyond and Absolutely had both been certified platinum. So this was maybe a little bit of a, a disappointment, I think, for the band as far as the performance of this album. Again, this was not released in the USA. And last week, we talked to Dave Robinson of Stiff Records, who kind of indicated that Sire maybe was not doing a very good job promoting the band stateside. The front cover artwork is very, very distinctive. It was photographed by a big time rock and roll photographer whose name is Lori Lewis. And she spells her name the same way I do, L-A-U-R-I-E. She spells it the correct way. So the cover was shot on September 23rd, 1982 at Primrose Hill. Now the cover features the band members and each one is dressed as a character from one of the songs on the album. Now, as we listen to the individual tracks, we'll talk about each of those characters on the cover. Then why don't we get right into the songs? And the first one would have been the title track. It is a Suggs and Chrissy Boy composition. It is Rise and Fall. Right then. So before we get into a little bit of information about Rise and Fall, thoughts, Lori, on the song itself? Well, it's a great way to open an album, isn't it? It just kind of hits you. These are the streets, right? I mean, it just, boom, right out of the gate. What do you think of Rise and Fall? Uh, well, pretty much the same. Yeah, it's, it's no wonder that it's an opening track. I wouldn't be surprised if they pick the song order and then that's what informed the decision to name the album the rise and fall now uh, according to madness biographer john reed it's about the decline of liverpool as a major international shipping port however you know it could really be about any city particularly from that time period recalling how things have changed since childhood chris in writing the song had said i started writing about places i used to play when i was a kid and Suggs went up to Liverpool after the riots, and he said it looked like friggin' Beirut. And he finished the song off, so hence that's Suggs's contribution there. Now, there were riots taking place just prior to the recording of the album, including in 1981, because of racial tensions. Um, it would be not dissimilar from what we've been seeing ourselves in America recently, uh, the tensions being, uh, you know, sort of a police versus the black community, uh, unemployment thrown in the mix there, you know, made uh, something, a situation rife for writing a song about. And there's that great line, and after anger, there's nothing left. And that really just kind of, I think, sums up, you know, the, the town has been decimated pretty much. And that's all the people have left right, that they're holding on to is their anger. So yeah, it's a, it's another one of those madness songs where there's that juxtaposition of a very 
like heavy kind of social meaning, I think, with a lighter tune. So that's a good one. Okay, next up, we have Tomorrow's Just Another Day, which was written by Carl Smith and Mike Barson. Let's take a listen. Trying hard. So before I ask you to weigh in on this song, Polly, and I know you and I have discussed this on a few different episodes, this is a song about regret. Carl said, it represented how I felt, some friendships I was in, how your actions were misinterpreted. Now, at the time, Carl really didn't know how to write songs on the guitar. He was still learning his instrument. So he whistled the idea to Mike, and Mike laid down the track on piano. So, Polly, what are your thoughts on tomorrow's just another day? Well, um, you know, so we would have been familiar with this from the American uh, Madness compilation. So it's something that goes back pretty far for me. Um, I enjoy it a great deal. Uh, I think it's one of their better choruses, actually. Uh, It's definitely very, very hooky. And um, you won't need to really listen a second time to be able to remember it. And to me, you know, that's a hallmark of a good song in and of itself. So, you know, definitely an A plus for me. I, I really do enjoy the song. And we did listen to, at the end of last episode, an Elvis Costello version of this song. And Elvis Costello was also on Stiff Records along with Madness. So this was the second single off of the Rise and Fall album. It was released on February 1st, 1983 as a double A-side. And we're going to talk about what the other A-side was later on. So hold that thought. It did peak at number eight in the UK, but unfortunately never did chart in the States. Up next, also a song we've talked about a bit. It's a Tomo composition. It is Blue Skin Beast. I can fly you to your loved ones, but I can promise no return To a shell shop god forsaken, where the craters still labor Have a drink of me, have a drink of me Still the worst is over, that I hope you understand Then you're one more hurdle over, a protector of the land Have a drink of me, I put you down Company, blue cheese to the blue skin, All right, then, Lori. Now, give us something fresh and new about blue skin beasts that we haven't already talked about before. Oh, well, <laughs> that that's the rub, isn't it? Because we have really talked about this before. We talked about it in episode 31 The Politics of Madness. And Lee Thompson has stated that the blue skin beast is Margaret Thatcher. The song, as we know, was inspired by the war in the Falkland Islands in 1982, which was between Britain and Argentina. So there is a tie-in to the cover artwork, isn't there, Polly? Uh, Yeah, Uh, there's Lee, dressed in an MP uniform. Uh, So that would be the visual to represent blue skin beast on the album cover. Now, I did mention in a previous episode, and I think I got some ribbing from some of our friends in the UK, misheard lyrics. Hey, there's a topic for an episode we could do. We could do an episode about misheard lyrics. That would be a fun one. But I swear up and down, I hear if John Wayne got his pants off, don't be shocked when it comes your turn. I swear that's what it sounds like he's saying. Now, I I looked it up and uh, on all the lyric sites, it says, if John Wayne got his bounce off, which I have absolutely no idea what that even means. 
but uh yeah. I, I don't think that's correct either no what do you think it is well i happen to i happen to have the liner notes right in front of me oh do you okay yeah so if and um and you're right i've misheard it i don't, can't claim to know what i thought it was uh but the actual lyric is and if john wayne dummies bounce off what the hell are john wayne dummies I don't know, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's referring to some form of military artillery. I don't know. Uh, okay. Shame. I could have looked it up before we recorded, but I'll just I'll just have said I made that up, and I'll pretend I'm right. <laughs> okay. All right. Next up, Primrose Hill. This is another one I think we've talked about before. It's written by Suggs and Chrissy Boy. Let's give it a listen. A man opened his window and stared up Primrose Hill. Out there enjoying themselves, I've seen them from this cell. Green space with white and red going brown. Children baiting animals running up and down. I stare out of this window. See the world go past. Polly, what do you think of Primrose Hill? Primwoes. Primwoes. What do you think of Primwoes Hill? Uh, well, no, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say it. No, I wanted to stick with that. <laughs> well, what I think about it, and I'm pretty sure I'm on record on this, is that I really love the song. Um, one of Mattis's better songs. And uh, talk about a three and a half minute perfect pop song telling uh, a rather complete story you know it's uh it's really some of their better work and speaking of misheard lyrics so there's the lyric in there about children biting animals you know? i think it's baiting isn't it children not baiting. the way sug sings it it's not really what is your what do your liner notes say oh it is baiting animals oh is it okay yeah it totally sounds like children biting animals I, I confess that one I've never heard. I, I've never heard it as biting. Well, it's another thing. I, it's another thing I just made up. Oh, okay. Um, now I'm going to go listen to it again. So the brass instruments in this song, which are very, very pronounced, were um, a band called the Hendon Band, which had a connection to David Bedford, who was the string composer that we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. I tend to think that this song is about somebody who suffers with agoraphobia. I know we've talked about this on a few episodes, but the lyrics, deliveries every day, newspapers and food, never had to venture out, the phone has been removed. I mean, that sounds to me like a person that is afraid to go into the outside world. Uh, there's also this really, really great line in the song that I love. Although I've never been there, I wish I was there still. So this protagonist is looking out the window at all these people on primrose hill and he's living vicariously through them he's living through what he sees them doing since he can't actually go out um there is a connection to the cover artwork is there not polly in a in a in a sort of technical sense uh Suggs is holding newspaper and food on the cover so Interesting. that might be he might be representing the um person in the song interesting so what i had in my notes is that while not represented by a person the cover photo was taken on primrose hill so it's a literal representation they're literally on primrose hill but that's an interesting uh connection as well all right then next up would be mr speaker gets the word also a Suggs and Barson composition. Wriggles from his captain's arms, Mr. Speaker gets the word. Running now from the alarms, speak his mind free as a bird. Mr. 
speaker you know i think this is maybe the first weak track on the album i don't think that this is strong we had four really really good songs there in the beginning and now i feel like it just kind of uh slips a little bit you know this is not of the same quality and the same caliber as the other songs so far yeah i'm kind of in concurrence there i think the chorus is a bit sort of plodding a little bit um, and uh, so there's definitely not a hook in it. Uh, you know, thematically, you know, so they took a crack at something, you know, and it's, it's, it's not bad. It's adequate, I think, for a song. Uh, it was inspired by a man that Chaz had seen in Hyde Park reading from a book in the middle of the street who had, in his words, completely lost it. Uh, there was a reference to Colney Hatch, which was a hospital for the mentally ill, uh, the full name of the institution being Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum. So there you go. Uh, they've PC'd it up since then, I'm sure. The, the idea, though, of, I think, a, a person, uh, perhaps not of sound mind, ranting on a street corner, that's like a universal thing, I think. All uh, big cities, anyway, right? Chicago, yeah. Chicago, we've got ours. We have the uh the state street preacher and anybody here from chicago who's listening they know exactly who i'm talking about and have probably been told on more than one occasion that you're going to hell by the state street preacher <laughs> so uh do you have anybody like that in your neck of the woods polly i am that guy in my neck of the woods oh dear <laughs> um yeah well you know and, and i'm not saying that the uh the song would be you know disrespectful um or unkind to the mentally ill but uh i think we progress to uh be a little bit more empathetic towards people in that situation but i totally remember when i was a kid if you went to a big city and you saw somebody uh ranting and raving um it was part of the full city experience and you uh, probably didn't uh view it with a, a enough of the care and concern that we do these days. So uh, hopefully we progress to the point where we take care of folks like that. Did I get preachy? I just you did. You did, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> you have something to say. The cover artwork, by the way, Suggs is dressed as a street corner speaker for Mr. Speaker Gets the Word. All right, so next up we have Woody's first ever songwriting composition. This is a song called Sunday Morning. Let's listen. Sunday morning silence. Curtains stay closed late. No one thinks of kitchens mornings in a filthy state. Dishes, cups, and estates. Ashtrays on the floor. Sunday morning papers are left outside the front. Sunday school and Sunday roast Sunday papers, Sunday post Sunday morning, Sunday rest Sunday sermon, Sunday best Okay, Polly, what do you think of Sunday morning? So I'm all right with Sunday morning. You know, I don't have a lot of uh, really nuanced, uh, smart, intricate notes on the song. Um, it doesn't make it onto really many of my playlists, so it doesn't happen to be one that I listen to a great deal. But I think it was definitely a very good first offering for Woody. I would argue, um, I think this the album would kind of be incomplete without it. Uh, if we talk about the initial idea of a concept album, this definitely fit right in there with it. Hmm. I get what you're saying about it fitting into the concept album. The song itself, I think, is kind of weak. It seems underbaked to me, it, it, it unfinished somehow. By the way, this is not to be confused with Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, which was on the wonderful album. On the cover of The Rise and Fall, Woody is dressed as a priest to represent Sunday Morning. All right, Polly, that's the end of side one. Let's flip the record over. Let us do that. And well, what would we have here? Only the probably most famous Madness composition, 
certainly the most famous by Chrissy Boy and Chaz, it would be Our House. Do we have any fresh new take on our house, Lori? I don't know that we do. I mean, uh, longtime listeners to the show know everything that we've said about this. But for those of you who maybe are a little bit newer, we've talked about how, first of all, this was the band's biggest uh, international single. It was the highest charting single in the U.S. It was the first single off of the album, if I'm not mistaken, released on... Boy, November 12th, 1982. And we've talked about how it's been used in countless advertising campaigns. Chrissy Boy, in our interview with him, told us, you know, how he's actually done pretty well with the royalties, the songwriting royalties off this song because it's been used so much. I will say, having done this song a few times at karaoke, there are some key changes. There are several key changes. And a song with one key change is usually pretty challenging for a band. But this one just has key change after key change after key change. So the band must have really, really practiced this so much to get really, really good with those key changes because otherwise it would have been a disaster. You got anything you want to add? I'm good. All right. On the cover of The Rise and Fall, we see Chrissy Boy sitting in an Archie Bunker-style armchair, and that is intended to represent the song Our House. All right, so next we have, ooh, I don't know if we've talked about this song before, Polly. Yeah, this is the first time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this is called Tiptoes. It was written by Suggs and Mike Barson. Waking up again, another sleepless night, climbing taller buildings dreams of flight in a pool of sweat not knowing what to do no more earthbound feelings a different point of view moment of truth he heads towards the building his glazed eyes stare vacantly following his feelings no turning back the door's already shutting standing on his tiptoes to reach the 19th bank to miss a grasping hand falling again Squash a passerby He wanted to see something again, again That he could really fly All right, what did you think of that, Polly? Uh, so, uh, Tiptoes isn't a song I tend to listen to a lot. It just doesn't make its way onto many of my playlists. But uh, I, I tend to like it a great deal. Um, I think uh, backing vocals in particular by Carl, really, really solid on this. Altogether, a very good offering, again, for the album. Well, I was going to comment on Carl's backing vocals, too, particularly on the chorus. To miss a grasping hand, I'm falling again. And squash a passerby, I'm falling again. And yeah, Carl's I'm falling again is just beautiful. So this song is actually, if you listen very closely, about a man who wakes up in the middle of the night and then jumps to his death off a tall building more very dark subject matter here. I guess this song was originally written during the seven album sessions, but they held on to it. And then they dusted it off for the rise and fall. I really like this song. This is one of the stronger songs on the album, I think. Okay. Then up next, the one we mentioned before, it's the one that kind of blew the whole theme for the album. Barson wrote it. It is New Delhi. Yeah. 
What's your take on the song? Well, <laughs> Polly, as I think you and I have talked about before, I used to take belly dance lessons. And so I have exposure to a lot of like Middle Eastern music, also some Indian music, you know, world music. And this song sounds like it's trying too hard to emulate that style of music. And I don't know that it necessarily pulls it off too well. I know that when I was reading about this, there were six string musicians and David Bedford had wanted four of them to play off key. So the idea was two of them playing like a half step too low, two of them playing in key, two of them playing a half step too high. And the idea was that would kind of emulate a like street performance, but apparently these string performers were so professional, they couldn't do it. They couldn't play off key. So they all ended up playing in key. There is part of this where it's electronic, where it reminds me of, okay, I'm trying to think of the name of the album. It was done by Ann Dudley, who used to be in the Art of Noise. And I want to say it's called Songs from the Victorious City. And it was instrumental music, but it was kind of in that Art of Noise electronic genre that was inspired by Cairo, Cairo being the victorious city. So that's more Egyptian than Indian. But there's a part here where it kind of reaches a little bit of a crescendo where it reminds me of that album by Ed Dudley. I, I, yeah, I've rambled too long about this. What do you think of New Delhi? Uh, so, I mean, it's ambitious. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time they've done something like that. I, I, I consider it akin to, you know, what they had attempted with some of their classical pieces, take something that's really out of your element uh, and try to make a pop song out of it. And I think that's a bit what was going on here, though it is, of course, an original composition. Uh, but I think it kind of falls a little, little bit flat. I'm, I think I'm more a fan of somebody taking an element of um, Indian music or something like that and almost treating it like a sample rather than making an entire song out of it. So uh, that's what I think I would have preferred here. I want to comment on what you just said. Sure. What you were talking about, about taking maybe elements of Indian music rather than trying too hard. I think they succeeded at that in I Pronounce You. Now, of course, Mike was no longer in the band by then. That was the madness. But the way that they incorporated the sitar into that song it felt very natural. It, it fit. Here, it doesn't feel natural. I think I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Uh, indeed, indeed, it was. And then, as we've talked about, uh, you know, the references, the songs on the album cover art, uh, here's the big elephant in the room, or maybe the big barson on the cover. So he is portraying an Indian man in a turban, Wearing brown face. Yeah. Now, Lori, Lori and I happen to have a discussion about this outside of recording the podcast. And, you know, we all, when we see this stuff come up, we always do the calculus and say, does this go back to an era where it's still a schmucky thing to do, but they couldn't have known better? And for 1982, no, you totally could have known better. And I don't think they should have allowed it. I think somebody should have said, dear God, you can't do that. I, you know, I agree with you 100% on that. It really makes me cringe. And it's the same thing, unfortunately, from an earlier album, the music video for Embarrassment, where Mike is wearing blackface and playing the piano. Now, I almost didn't notice it the first time I saw the video because of the way the video is lit. You can almost convince yourself it's just a trick of the lighting. But by the 80s, you think that people would understand that blackface is not acceptable. Yeah, come on. You're right. Mike should know better. There you go. Preachy twice in the same episode, but whatever. Uh, I think that that's a legitimate concern. 
All right. Well, from Blackface to That Face, that's the next song on the album. That Face was written by Chrissy Boy and Suggs. Let's listen. I see a face that faces mine. The mirror marks the changing time. A face I'll never see again. And mine will never be the same. That face was fine only yesterday. My problems seem so far away. Reflections I see of myself. As in sickness, as in health. As she lived, as for us. No chance to re rehearse. Try to forget. Holly, what do you think of that face? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm always trying to be diplomatic and say, well, it's not one of my favorite songs, but, you know, it was a good effort. Um, yeah, to me, this one uh, just does not have enough of, of what I like. It's all right. Good effort. You know, I love everything from Stugs and Chris. Um, but to me, this is a little bit album filler, if you ask me. Yeah, I could, I can see that. I can see that. Lyrically, I think it's interesting. It's about a man who's looking at himself in the mirror and thinking about his woman who left him. You know, I, I feel like this album is very, well, it's a mixed bag. The tracks that are strong are really, really strong. And honestly, most of the strong tracks did make it onto the American Madness compilation. Unfortunately, then the other half of the tracks really don't feel, yeah, like you said, they feel like filler. They, they don't feel complete to me. They feel like that they could have benefit from some more work. And I think maybe this is one of them. It, do, it doesn't feel complete to me. It doesn't feel finished. All right, then. What we have up next would be a Tomo and Christy Boy composition. It's Calling Cards. Hey, something on the city on Kent Road. Case from coast to most. A nice little number if you're out of work and on the soup to post. You're in need of a job, of a job, of a job. I'm your man to see. I'll sit, I'll listen, I'll not say a word unless said will be best for me. All right then, Lori, this song means an awful lot to you, so why don't you go ahead and give me your take on it? Polly, you have ruined this song for me. You have ruined this song because now I cannot hear this song without picturing what you said about how you dance around in your underpants to I've been a naughty boy. I did like this song before that, Polly. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> well, okay. Aside from that, and aside from the fact that I'm blushing right now, thank goodness that uh, our listeners can't see that. The song is definitely about a criminal element, stealing credit cards from the mail. I think we've talked about that before. And all the banks that they're stealing from are called out by name, right? Bank of Scotland, Williams and Glynis, Bureau de Change, the People's Bank. I, it is a, a very good song. I really do like this song. And we know you like it because you dance around in your underwear. It's true. Well, you know, uh, they... They hit all the notes, of course. Yeah, upbeat tempo, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. uh, really hooky chorus, blah, blah, blah. But the hooky chorus contains, ooh, I've been a naughty boy. I mean, hell. They could have been, they could be the title to my memoir. I mean, that's, it's just so <laughs> awesome. I mean, I would love to get somebody to arrange that. So every time I walked into a room, it would play, but. I don't know if I've got that type of gravitas. I think your wife would have something to say about that. I'm just saying. Oh, she's, yeah, she's fed up with my bullshit. <laughs> 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 oh, 
hey, before we forget, there's a connection to the album cover. Betters is supposed to be dressed as the naughty boy of calling cards. Now, he doesn't look like a naughty boy on the cover as far as I'm concerned, but uh, apparently that's his character. Uh, that it is. Yeah, he's still got a bit of the baby face thing, but he's trying to do Edward G. Robinson and, and you know, furrow his brow and the whole bit like that. But yeah, whatever. Hey, he's dead center in the album cover. You know, that's a, that's got to be pretty good for him. <laughs> and noticed. All right. Next up. This is another one I don't think we've played before, Polly. This is a Chris Foreman and Lee Thompson composition. Not a lot of Lee Thompson compositions on this album, are there? Not so much. But uh, this one is Are You Coming With Me? Could it be someone's telling lies? Or could it be that I'm getting white? I woke myself from a nosedive blind. I caught myself, but you've lost all pride I'm not going with you Won't you come on with me? See your world in a drift like past So good the feeling you want to love All right, Polly, tell us your thoughts on this one. Are you coming with me? Um, probably not so much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a good song. I, didn't I just say I wasn't going to be diplomatic about everything? But yeah, I mean, it's fine. I can see why they put it towards the end. You know, it's a good uh, sort of trailing off song, I would say. But, you know, I'll give it a pass. It's a solid B. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. Listening to the lyrics, and we've talked before about how Lee in particular really seems to kind of do this storytelling narration with his lyrics and tends to tell stories from his life and his family and his friends' lives. Like embarrassment was the story of his sister and an unplanned pregnancy. Well, are you coming with me? I don't know that he's commented much on this publicly, but listen to these lyrics. Promise me you'll keep yourself clean. Cut yourself from your midday dream. If I could wake you a moment, I would share you my lifeline, feed you some good. And what I'm feeling as I'm hearing these lyrics is somebody who's maybe um, gotten lost in drugs and his friend or family member, loved one, whoever saying, you know, hey, I'm getting clean. Are you coming with me? And you kind of get the feeling that maybe the person isn't coming with, you know what I mean? That, that, that maybe this is where this friendship is going to end, where one person is still stuck in the addiction and the other one's moved on. Very, very dark subject matter that Lee seems to gravitate towards. Okay, then. And we're on to another Chris composition. It is Madness. No, not that one. It's Madness is All in the Mind. We mentioned very early on on the album that there was a double A side for a single, right? The first side was Tomorrow's Just Another Day. Well, Madness is All in the Mind was the second A side. So that double single was released on February 1st, 1983. I know I have said before in other songs, I love this song. I love Chaz's vocal. It's very smooth and very sexy and very jazz inspired. 
the song kind of has some vibes in it of like Fever by Peggy Lee. I think I've said that in a previous podcast as well. Uh, this is a really good one, I think, to close the album off with. What do you think? Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I actually think, of course, you know, they had the cover of the Prince Buster song. And they made that their own and good on them. And it's really cool. And the story of naming the band uh, after the song is really cool. And they could have totally left it there. Um, but here comes Chris and he decides to write this. And you know, it's not dissimilar from what they maybe did with like My Girl too. It's like saying, you know, we're here, we're still around. We've updated and, you know, this is us in this era and i really like the song now if the song had really stunk that that concept of here's a new take here's a and i'm not suggesting really that's what was going through chris's mind when he wrote it but uh from a fan perspective i think that's kind of why this song stands out but yes if it had not been that good of a song that whole concept goes down the toilet uh i do like it and i know you've said it's reminiscent of peggy lee um, I think it's also got a bit of a boogie-woogie and sort of like pub rock kind of vibe to it. Um, yeah, it does have that sort of 60s vibe. But um, man, couldn't uh, everybody grab a beer and just sing to a song like this, you know? I really find it quite endearing. You know, what you were saying about, I'm trying to trying to think exactly how you phrased it. But when you mention, you know, first they named themselves after this, the Prince Buster song, Madness, and now we have this song, Madness, and is all in the mind. Well, I knew somebody at U of I, University of Illinois, who was actually my boyfriend's roommate. And he had this hard and fast rule, and he was into all kinds of music. But his rule was, if a band mentions their own name in the song, he will not listen to them. And I think of that from time to time, not just with Madness. I mean, there's a lot of other bands that, you know, give themselves kind of a name check. And that's a shame, really, because this is actually a really, really good song. And if you follow that kind of a rule, you'd miss out on it, you know? So I, I think I think I kind of get what you're laying down there. There's a point. It's It's really all about the intention, I guess. Uh, but there's a point where it is super schmucky. And that's something um, I've found out, I think, listening to, uh, you know, modern hip hop, you know, calling out oneself or having a hype man in hip hop is a long history there, you know. But when you do it so purposefully and what you're doing just isn't that good, it's super schmucky. So I kind of get where that guy was coming from. Um, it can certainly has a huge danger of sounding pretentious. And if you can't follow through by being as awesome as that, you know, then yeah, totally. But this isn't, this is, you know, name, self name dropping, but almost in an invert, inadvertent way, because it's not sit talk, talking about the band themselves. Right. You know, so right. yeah. Anywho. And of course, you know, the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned the hip hop, MC Hammer. It's Hammer Go, Hammer, MC Hammer, yo, Hammer, and the rest can't go in play. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Totally, yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, just an opportunity to play a little bit of Can't Touch This in there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Polly. Here we are again at the end of another album deep dive. It's been a while since we've done one. And you know what I'm going to ask you. So were you prepared this time? Yeah, sure. No, not at all. Uh, well, but it's easy for me. So my favorite track is easily going to be Calling Cards. Okay. Without a doubt. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, I think my least favorite is going to be, it could totally be between New Delhi or That Face, but I'm just going to say New Delhi. Okay. Well, yeah, my favorite track, you know, my first instinct is to say Our House, because as our listeners know, I would never have discovered Madness if not for Our House. It is a classic. But in the interest of mixing it up a little bit, I'm going to say... Madness is All in the Mind will be my favorite track. Oh, good. 
And as far as least favorite, yeah, New Delhi is probably one of my least favorite, but I'm going to have to go with Sunday morning. I'm sorry, Woody. We love you, Woody. We know it was your first effort. It was a noble effort. Just not, it's kind of half-baked. Polly, do you want to talk about what we're working on for the next episode? We're changing gears a little bit. So, yes, uh, you know, we've uh, been thinking a bit about madness, the world outside of madness, but people that are still uh, touched by madness. Oh, boy, I shouldn't say touched by madness. But people that are, you know, merely not influenced by madness have an appreciation, but maybe operate in the same sphere somehow. So, uh, you know, we, we had been speaking about Amy Winehouse. Lori and I had probably uh, mentioned Amy a couple of times unrelated to the podcast or any ideas. And, um, yeah, we thought, wow, you know, uh, the, the last couple of trips I've made to Camden Town, you know, Amy's a, a, a presence there still. I mean, paintings and alleys a statue every shop has some form of memorabilia there's definitely a lot of love out there for amy and of course the band had love for her too um and so we thought you know we we could get by quite easily with doing a tribute to amy winehouse and that is in fact what we're going to do and as a matter of fact the date that we're going to be releasing that episode is july 23rd which is sadly the 11th anniversary of amy's passing so i've already started doing a little bit of research i confess i did not know anything about her other than two two songs that i knew so i've been reading i've been watching documentaries i've been uh, familiarizing myself with her work polly i already know you know a bunch about her so you don't have to do much research there you can probably just recite it off the top of your head yes and, and, and not doing work is where i excel so that should be a very very interesting episode and we will tie it into madness as well so please tune in for that on july 23rd so i chose the closing song today and what i chose was a cover of blue skinned beast by a guy named Billy Brown. Now, Billy Brown is a folk singer. He was formerly of a band called Friends of Gavin. And I chose this closing song because it is such a unique take on Blue Skin Beast. So we listened to a little bit of it earlier. It's probably still fresh in your mind. Now, when you listen to the closing song, it almost doesn't even sound like the same song. He really puts a very, very unique spin on it. So, that's it for me. We'll see you back in two weeks. We'll talk about the lovely, the legend, Amy Winehouse. It's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. no return to shell shock god forsaken where the craters still they burn have a drink on me have a drink on me still the worst is over that i hope you understand you're the one more hurdle over a protector of the land have a drink on me down to the company Three cheers to the blue skin beast Hip hip to the blue skin beast Hip hip Three cheers to the blue skin beast Hip hip to the blue skin beast Hip hip Here you have this metal You can even melt it down Frame it in the living room Every time you look around Have a drink on me Have a drink on me Well, I heard you shout for yesterday But I was sleeping on the job And I dreamt to fight us miles away Whose lives I had to rob Have a drink on me I put it down to the company 
Hip, 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 hip. 